Welcome to another episode of Beyond the Bio, where we're sharing the stories of the extraordinary people at Bain and the value they bring to the firm. For the last few episodes, we've been diving into a topic that is important to us and to our listeners, prioritizing health and wellness. As we close out this four-part series, joining me today is a friend of mine, Whitney White, an innovation leader, executive coach, and Bain alum. Whitney will be discussing her journey to Bain, what led her to entrepreneurship, and how she's helping executives, quote, take back their time. Whitney, it's great to catch up and talk with you today. Great to be here. Now, Whitney, we could probably catch up and chat for an hour and not get to any of the things that I wanted to talk about today because it's been a minute since we've caught up. But maybe you could just start with a little bit on your education and, and how you decided where to go to school and what to study in school. Was business a love that you had on the front end of your education? I will say that business was a love that I had since I was a tiny kid. I started my first business when I was in elementary school, and I grew that business to the point where I was in high school, I was making several thousand dollars a year, I had dozens of clients. I had this real passion around being able to take ideas, bring them to life, and frankly, get paid to help people. And so I think that's where I first started to develop my love of business. Now, what were you doing earning that much money in high school. I had friends that earned a lot of money in high school, but they were doing all kinds of different things. I interned in high school, so I was earning, you know, quote, real money in high school. What were you doing? I had a tutoring service. So I was tutoring younger students and their parents would pay me to help them with their homework, do their science projects with them. I mean, pretty much everything. And one of the things that I actually learned pretty early on was the power of partnerships because I established a partnership with the local elementary school. I think this was when I was in high school or I was in middle school. And what we would do is that those students who were on the cusp of either getting promoted to the next grade or getting held back, they could work with me one-on-one over the summer and get promoted to the next grade because the leadership of the school had enough confidence in what I was doing and how I was getting results for my clients that they would give parents that option. So as you can imagine, this started to become quite lucrative and I got to do work that I really enjoyed and I was helping these students and I was making real money as, you know, as a kid myself. That's amazing. Now, did you do that through high school? I did all the way until I graduated and went to college. But you didn't go to college to be a business major or to be an educator. You went to college and majored in anthropology. That's right. You know, I actually thought I wanted to be a lawyer. And this was because growing up, I'm from rural South Carolina, super small town called Hemingway. I really wasn't exposed to lots of different careers. I saw lawyers on TV. They seemed like smart people. They seemed like critical thinkers. They were quick on their feet. And people would tell me growing up, oh, you'd make a great lawyer. So I thought, okay, that seems like a good career. I'm going to be a lawyer. Then I got to Davidson. And at Davidson, they say, you know what? This is liberal arts. Major in what you love. Major in what you are super interested in. And I'd always been interested in people and cultures, understanding how people and cultures impacted one another and people were shaped by their society, all of these things. So I studied anthropology. Very cool. Now, how did you go from anthropology to Bain? I was just talking with my son last night and he was saying, you know, my friends want to know what major Bain hires from. And I was like, 
we hire all types of majors. <laughs> and I don't think I listed anthropology as an example, but I probably could have to show them the range. Yeah, how did you end up coming to Bain? You know, I get that question a lot from people. How do you go from anthropology to Bain? And really for me, my experience in college was an exploration of a lot of different career paths. I had different internships every summer. I would realize, oh, I don't like that. I don't like this. I don't like that. And so I wasn't sure what I wanted to do by the time I was a senior. But there was an alum of Davidson, Greg Wallace, who was working in the Atlanta office at Bain. And he reached out to me because we had the same scholarship at Davidson, the Belk Scholarship, which is a big flagship scholarship for Davidson. And so we have a tight knit community. And he said, Whitney, I think you would really enjoy this and you would be super great at this. So he reached out and we had a conversation. I ended up dropping my resume and, and going through the process. And so there are people listening who have been studying cases since they were graduating high school. You're saying that as a senior, you just uh, said, eh, let me see what this Bain thing's all about. Yeah, I'm being candid. That's what happened. Now, it's not that I didn't prepare. OK, when I focus on something, I'm like, OK. Let me understand, how does this work? What's the process? What do we do? You know, all of that, right? So I understood that the case process was intense and you had to prepare. I started reading the books and doing the practice cases and all of that. And I also started talking to people in management consulting, right? And understanding what it would be like to work at a place like Bain, all of this. So I definitely went all in on the preparation once I said, okay, I'm going to go for this. It's funny. I tell recruits all the time when we're at events and they say, you know, are Bain people really different or all similar? I was like, well, we're all different and diverse, but there's some underlying characteristics that are the same. And the first thing I always say is Bain people are really passionate about whatever they're doing. Yes, exactly. Once I said, hey, this, I went all in. <laughs> exactly. And we do that with kind of everything that we're doing. Whitney, you joined Bain, I think, in Atlanta as an associate consultant. What were your first couple of years like? What did you work on? How did you enjoy the work? Was it what you expected? Tell us a little bit about that. So I did. I joined in Atlanta. I was an AC and, you know, I had a wide range of cases. And I think about my my first kind of I had some short cases. And then my first longer case was in the higher ed area, which was really not what I was expecting. I just graduated from college, right? And then I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm working for a university. So it was not what, what I expected, but it was super interesting. It was one of the first cases in Bain's higher ed practice. So it was also fun getting to do something that was also different and innovative in ways for, you know, for the firm. But I also worked in things from cruise lines and go-to-market strategies to a merger integration for oil field services. So there was definitely a mix. What I will say also really stood out to me during that time was the people. I made relationships with people I really enjoyed, people who I'm still friends with to this day. You and I <laughs> got to know one another and you were one of my mentors. And obviously we're still in each other's lives even to this day. So for me, yes, the work was super stimulating and it was super interesting and I was learning a lot, but I was also forming relationships with people who would be a part of my life for a very long time. Yeah, and, and a lot of the people that I met at Bain just sort of clicked with me. I felt like I was with my tribe, so to speak. 
even the very first two people I ever met at Bain when I was in college are still sort of friends and mentors to this day, you know, 20, 30 years later. It's, it's really amazing. So Whitney, you had a lot of different experiences at Bain, but one of the things that I know you did was go work outside of Bain for a little while. Now, one of the things people may not realize is that Bain has an externship program, so it's common in a lot of places for our ACs or our consultants to work someplace else for four to six months and see what it's like to be an operator, not just an advisor. But what was the experience that you pursued and how did it come about? Yeah, I was wrapping up the end of my second year as an AC and the natural thing at that point, if you are interested in an externship, is to start looking on the internal portal at Bain for externship opportunities. So I started looking for opportunities and I saw one that was with the city of Atlanta mayor's office. So at that time, I had been working on a merger integration for nine months and I really loved it. I loved how much it really allowed me to get into the day-to-day of putting these two big companies together and learn the ins and outs more from that operational perspective. And so this opportunity to go work with the city of Atlanta was with a Bain partner who was on sabbatical as the chief operating officer of the city of Atlanta. And then there was a former SAC turned C1, who was leading up the team within the city of Atlanta. And he was the person on the posting. And I'd actually known him from the Atlanta office. So I reached out, talked to him about this externship, and he ended up sharing that they were actually hoping to get someone full time. So not only for four to six months, but actually a full-time person. So I think they were a little bit sly in how they <laughs> how they posted it to be able to attract someone, but it sounded like an incredible opportunity. I was really working with the equivalent of a Bain case team inside of the city of Atlanta. And what did you learn about the city or yourself that might have been particularly impactful on your career? Oh my gosh. I learned that I absolutely love operations combining that strategic view with the get stuff done. Like, I just love that. And not only at the part where I was working with the commissioners, the folks who were the heads of these departments. So I had a portfolio of departments where I was leading special projects, performance management. They were the departments like public works, your water utility, planning and community development. So I didn't only really enjoy the strategic work, but I also enjoyed getting down to the nuts and bolts, like following garbage trucks around the city on a route optimization project. Like I enjoyed that kind of thing too. It actually makes me think about what you said earlier about the Bain personality and how when we're into something, we are into it. And so I absolutely, yeah, I fell in love with the work and I fell in love also with the impact because It makes a difference to everyday citizens if their trash is picked up on time, if the potholes are filled on their street. So it was this really exciting way to have this fast-paced intellectual stimulation, but also feel like, wow, like I'm really having an impact on everyday people's lives. Now, you do that for a couple of years and you continue pulling the thread on the operations path. What did you do after Atlanta? Yeah, I kept down this operations path and I realized I did want to be back in the private sector because, you know, the business part of me (laughs) 
had always been there. So I got into e-commerce with McMaster Car, which is a big industrial supplier. And again, this is that, hey, if you're passionate about something, (laughs) you can be passionate about everything. And so for me, I got into industrial supplies, hardcore, okay, into industrial supplies. And I had awesome experiences. This is also where I first started to manage large teams. So I was managing teams of supply chain, logistics folks. And then I was managing a contact center. I stood up a new, a whole new department for the company that was our first e-contact center. So moving to a different model around support for sales ops and different types of customer support, et cetera. So this was super interesting to me. And I also really got to develop those people management skills. Now, Whitney, just to put this on the timeline for people, this is four or five years out of undergrad after two years as an AC at Bain, right? Yeah, that's right. So that's about the time that a lot of people who want to go back and get an MBA really start thinking about it. Was that something that you considered? Yes, I did. Because I had mentors and I had folks around me who said, hey, this is a great time for you to go to business school. And so I said, "Okay, this makes sense. You know, I'm very career oriented and all these things. So I said, "Okay, let's do what's next on the list. I applied for business school. I actually did a preparation program for underrepresented folks going to business school, management leadership for tomorrow. So I did this 18 month program, applied. I was super fortunate. I got into some awesome schools. And because of the way my brain works and I'm so big on preparation and all these things, I kept having conversations with people. I kept talking to alumni, people who'd gone to those schools. I wanted to focus on entrepreneurship. I wanted experiential learning. So I really tried to kick the tires on the schools and make sure they would be a good fit. But I kept hearing something from folks. They would say, oh, our school is so great. You would love it here. You you should come here. But if you really want to be an entrepreneur, you could just go and do it. You don't really have to go to school because you already worked at Bain. So you don't really have to go to business school if you want to be an entrepreneur. And it's interesting because people would say to me, you know, folks go to business school to get a job at a place like Bain. You've already worked at Bain. (laughs) So if you want to be an entrepreneur, you can just go do it. And I took a step back and I said, you know what? I'm going to try my hand at this. I'm going to go for it and be a full-time entrepreneur. So Whitney, let's pick up the thread right there. When you make the decision to be an entrepreneur, you founded Afara Global in 2013. Talk a little bit about what that company did and what was the spark for that business. So because I've had this entrepreneurial itch forever, basically, I actually founded it when I was still working with McMaster Car back in 2011. But it wasn't until 2013 that I went all in and said, okay, I'm going to work for myself full time. And I will say it was like night and day, right? When you're working on a business, it's a side hustle. You've got another full-time job and, you know, all of that. It's one thing. And I will say I approached it very academically initially. You know, I had awesome business plans and, you know, I've done all the research and, (laughs) you know, all of that stuff. But that's not the same as, you know, getting out there and you're really on your own and you need to sell something. So you put food on the table, right? So I quickly learned after I went all in in 2013 that the approaches I was using, et cetera, it wasn't working. 
So I really took a hard pivot and started to focus on rapid experimentation, lean startup methodology, and really helping startups, social enterprises, and corporate teams launch and scale new products and services. And that's actually the work that we've done since 2013 until now. And where did you start? Who were your customers and and what types of projects were you doing for people? So I had two initial projects. My first one, I never even got paid for it. It was with a startup. I learned really valuable things, (laughs) okay, (laughs) about clients you take on, right? I worked for months on this startup project, and I did not do a good job of negotiating terms. And I was not clear enough that, hey, you need to get paid very early and perhaps all the way up front when you're working with startups because the checks may not clear. So I worked on a project with a startup for <laughs> for a few months and did not get paid. And then the next project was with the social enterprise. And it was really interesting because I needed the money at that point, right? Because I had been going through savings, trying to like build this business, et cetera. And they wanted to start with an assessment. It was an organizational development project. So they were trying to really scale their firm and they were in the public health space and they wanted someone to come in, really assess their processes, assess what they were doing and really lay out a path for it for them. It was a lot of kind of strategic planning, if you want to think of it that way, in terms of how to be able to really grow and scale. So it started out with this high level type project, because as you can imagine, when you're dealing with very small organizations, a lot of times Times people aren't necessarily clear on what the scope is and what they really need, all of these things. So they said, why don't we start with you come in one day, do an assessment of, you know, our people and like and give us, you know, a report on what you think. And then we'll decide if we want to keep working together. So I spent one day with them and I actually went with them to interact with them as they were working with their own clients. Right. So to see how they were interacting with their clients, how they were interacting with their teams. And I wrote this report. In the report, I said things that the managing director totally disagreed with and did not want to hear and he thought was total BS. And I stood behind what I said. I stood super firm and I said, this is what I saw. I know what I saw. This is what's happening within your organization. I thought, okay, well, there's no way they're going to want to work with me because I just told them all this stuff they don't want to hear, but it's true. They actually took the report, they went back, they kicked the tires, and they started looking harder at their organization, and they came back, and then I signed, like, a three, four-month, like, (laughs) engagement with them because they found that I was right. (laughs) They found that I was exactly right in what I said, and that taught me something really valuable. Also, I had them even pay me, I'm going to make a a point here, for that first report, I had them pay me up front for that, to be clear, (laughs) because I had learned from the startup situation. But it also taught me that, you know what, regardless of how folks are responding, the way we are and the way we worked at Bain in terms of, hey, you've always got that North Star. You're always having that true North and you're going to tell the truth. You're going to tell the client the truth, (laughs) regardless of how people are going to feel about it, regardless of, you know, what they actually want you to say. You're going to tell the truth. That for me was huge because carrying that over into the work that I did on my own really set me apart because I will tell you a lot of small advisory firms will kind of try to sell the client whatever they want to hear. And I've seen throughout the work that we've done with Afara Global, people respect the fact that we are no BS. We want the data. We're going to do whether it's qualitative, quantitative, we're going to look into what's there and we're going to tell you what we actually see and we're going to give it to you real. And so that's one of the things that set us apart. Now, I know you started doing work with Africa Business Fellows and other groups. You know, 
Talk a little bit about that and the direction that Alfaro Global went as it started sparking other interests for you. Yeah, you know, I look back now and I don't think I'd realized I had this human development, this learning and development thread in terms of, you know, my interest. But I got this project working for a nonprofit and it was really a, a coalition of a few different groups to launch the Africa Business Fellowship. So it was an experiential hands-on, cross-cultural experience giving U.S. business leaders real-world work experience in top companies on the African continent. And I absolutely loved it from a process standpoint, you know, really being able to put this, just take it from an idea and, you know, bring it to life. But I also saw the impact that these types of experiences had on the business leaders, right? Had on people who got to show up as leaders in a totally different context and really challenge themselves and challenge their skills. And I think that is what started me more thinking about leaders and what it takes to develop leaders and how you can best support those folks. Now, as somebody who had been an entrepreneur at this point, the leaders that you were working with also had other struggles. And so I want to take a minute and talk about Take Back Your Time, which is something that I think spawned out of the efforts that you were doing with the fellows and with Alfaro Global. What exactly is that effort about and what service and role are you playing with the executives you're working with? Yeah, it's definitely a thread that I started to see when I was working with those leaders with the Africa Business Fellowship. Then I had another project in the kind of human development space. And I think it was because I'd done those projects, I started to get more and more (laughs) in that space. And I noticed a thread where People who were super high potential, folks who had really big visions, not only for how to advance in their careers, but how they could have a real impact in the world, in their local context, in their organizations, in society, these types of people, right, who not only had these visions, but were also super capable. I started to see that day to day, they were pulled in so many different directions, between everything on their plate with their to-do list, all the ideas in their head, home responsibilities, personal you know, interests, all of these things that they couldn't get clear and focused enough to truly maximize their full potential. And so with my academic background in anthropology, I did hundreds of interviews and I developed my Take Back Your Time curriculum. And true to what we'd done for so many clients in the innovation space, using a lot of rapid experimentation, lean startup methodology, I said, okay, I am going to do a demand test, first of all, to see if there's real interest in something like this, right? So I reached out to my network, to some people and said, hey, I'm thinking of offering a program that's related to this. Can I talk to you? And then I would say, hey, if I offer this, Would you be interested? And when I had five people who said yes, they were interested, I ran an MVP. And it was amazing because what I found was that through this work, through this clarity that folks got from us working together around what they truly wanted, their vision for all the parts of their life, through that roadmap, because we would create a step-by-step roadmap for them to get there, and then having the support and accountability, not only from me, but also from a community of peers to keep them on track, it was transformational. 
And so that was the beginning of what turned into my coaching practice where I work with clients and I have a team of other coaches and we help leaders really maximize their full potential. So Whitney, let's talk a little bit about what you're doing with leaders and helping them maximize their full potential. Because you know, part of what we're doing at Bain is thinking about employee wellness, thinking about their physical, emotional, and psychological well-being. And you're actively playing in that space with people that have a lot of different pulls on their time. And I want to talk a little bit about what you're learning as you work with different executives. What are the struggles that people face and, and how are you helping them deal, especially as a black man? The last two years has been a lot with a pandemic, with an economic crisis, with the racial unrest of 2020 and that continues to this day. What are you seeing and what are you helping people realize along the journey? One of the core challenges, the core threats that I've seen really across career level, across industry, all of these things, is that often we feel as though day to day, we're not able to really choose. We're not able to really choose what to do with our time. We're not able to really choose our prioritization. We have this sense of, hey, I am working super, super hard and I'm putting in the time, I'm putting in the effort and I'm doing what I have to do. And what that does is it gets people to a place where they have worked so hard and they have put in so much, but then they look around and I see this over and over again and they say, you know what? I didn't actually get where I wanted to be. I'm still not there. And part of why they haven't gotten to the place they wanted to be is because they weren't clear about where that place was. They did all the things that were expected of them, right? This was expected, that was expected, but hey, what do I really want? And so the biggest thing that I'm seeing for folks, frankly, is a sense of sometimes powerlessness, a sense of not having real agency. And it's easy to be in that place when you're overwhelmed. Because honestly, we get overwhelmed, we're exhausted. And so folks will, you know, you start going through the motions. <laughs> and you're like, I showed up, I did the thing, but you're not really fully awake to what you want. And so you're not fully on the path to get it. And how do you get the time to do that when you're running so hard as an entrepreneur, as a business executive? Because my pastor used to say he sees a lot of people climbing the ladder to success, realizing it's leaning on the wrong wall. <laughs> yes, I love that. <laughs> but the truth is that when you're in the middle of it, it's hard to sometimes pull back and say, wait a second, what exactly are we doing here? How do you help people do that without taking, you know, a three-month sabbatical to think about what their life meaning is, you know, because they're running a business and they're busy and they have lives and life keeps going on. Yeah, we actually do that very quickly. And I will say some of that is the curriculum, but some of that is also the intensity of having an outside perspective, an outside person who will cut through the BS, right? Because you know, the folks in your life, you know, you tell them, oh, I want this, I want that. They're like, oh, that's great. or You know, and then it may not always be the real deal, right? And so it's helpful to get the outside perspective. But part of what it looks like is really identifying what is coming from you and what's coming from the outside voices. This is something that we all face, right? I told you the story around how I was going to business school because I thought I was supposed to, not because I truly, truly wanted to go to business school. 
But for those of us who are high achievers, we've gotten to where we are in life because we did the thing that we were supposed to. So it's hard to then take a step back out of that and say, oh, wait a minute, what's my voice? What do I really want? And that's why it's helpful to not only have an outside person helping you with that, whether it's a coach, whether it's an advisor, whether, you know, it's a no nonsense trusted friend, right? To be able to have someone help you pick that apart, but also, frankly, to start getting in community with other people who are asking similar questions. And so, Whitney, we've had a bunch of people on the podcast lately, not unlike yourself, who had this either external or internal feeling they needed to be a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer. Those are the three paths. Is it ever too late to sort of pull back and say, wait a second, this isn't the path that I'm supposed to be on? I think some people feel like, well, you know, that ship has sailed. It's too late for me to start over, too late for me to reset my goals. How do you help people through that type of a decision process? Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love, love, love that. I get this all the time from my super, super senior executives. So my people who are at like Fortune 100s, their SVPs, literally people look at their life And they're like, oh, my gosh, this person has done the most amazing thing. And, you know, for them, they feel like I don't really want to be here, but so many other people want to be here. So is it okay for me not to want to be here? Right. So (laughs) and often those are conversations they can't have with other people because everyone else will think they're crazy. Right. What's wrong with you that you don't want to be there? That's where everybody wants to be. So in terms of what it looks like, part of it is really tapping into what it feels like, what you would really want your days to be, right? What you would really want them to look like when you're doing the thing that you truly want to do. So sometimes we don't even let ourselves dream enough. We don't let ourselves fully dream. The very first exercise, and we also do this with clients when we do workshops and retreats and we go into companies and we do this larger scale, but we also do it with one-on-one clients. Our very first exercise is to create what we call a time goal. And so this time goal is not about time on the clock. It's really about a vision for your life. It's an overarching vision and it's one statement. So mine was to run my own thriving business that gave me the flexibility to be a super involved mom and the financial freedom to travel and take vacations whenever I wanted. Okay, so when I set that, and we've got a framework and all this stuff in terms of how you set it, but just to know what the goal is, right? When I set it, that was back when the business was making no money and I had no idea how I was going to start making money. And, you know, it was a time when it sounded crazy. It's like, what are you talking about? Run your own thriving business that gives you the flexibility to be a super involved mom and the financial freedom to travel and take vacations whenever you want. That's crazy. Right. And so when our clients, when they first set their time goal and they follow this process, they feel two things. One, they feel excited. They're like, man, that sounds amazing. And then they feel afraid. Because they're like, how can I get there? How can I actually make that happen? But I am telling you, Keith, I hear over and over again, whether it's folks who do our whole program or folks who do a three-hour workshop through their company, the first step of getting clear on the vision and then building out that roadmap of how to get there, it changes how they filter things. It changes how they start to think about decisions that come up because they've got a new level of clarity and intentionality. Simply starting with the intention makes such a huge difference. And that's what's missing for so many of us because we're just going through the motions and we don't have the intention. We're capable people. 
once we've got the intention and once we've got the roadmap, and we might need some help with thinking outside the box, right? Because we're not doing it all the time. But once we've got that, we can start to make things happen. Now, Whitney, what advice would you give people who are listening to this that are on the earlier end of their career? There's one group of people who are further in their career, they're SVPs, and they're going, you know, man, for the last 20 years I've been on this journey, I think I need a reset. What would you tell people coming out of their bachelor's program or their graduate school program that are on the front end of this so they don't end up, if I could say it, needing your help when they're in their 50s? I love that you ask that question because I definitely want that for people. It's so, so valuable to start out, whether you are in college, whether you are just starting your career and be able to say, yes, all the people around me, my parents, my professors, my mentors, they all mean well, but it is my life. And what is it that I truly want? What is it that I want in terms of the vision for my life and not just work. When I shared my time goal a few moments ago, it was all encompassing. And it's so valuable for us when we think about our goals, not only to think professionally, because the pieces have to fit together. We have to be able to feel like across all the parts of our lives, we're fulfilled. So for those people, I would say, block out the other voices because you're the one who has to live this life and get really clear on what it is that you truly want and go after it. That's really awesome. And it's funny because you talked about your time goal earlier, and I should note for our listeners that you started when you joined the call, we were catching up for a few minutes before we started recording by telling me that you got out of the pool to come do this. Uh, you left poolside <laughs> to come do this recording because you and Olivia and family are actually in Italy and living exactly the dream or the goal that you set for yourself a while ago, which is really awesome to hear because I think there's a lot of people who give those types of talks and make those kinds of statements and it stays just a dream or a vision board on the wall and not something they're actually pursuing. And that's something I've always admired about your journey is that you actually set the goals and put in the work to get there. Things are moving along and progressing and evolving as you go. Whitney, what do you tell people who are thinking about where they're at and what they want to be in terms of what they should do tomorrow? What should they do next after listening to this and maybe rethinking their goals for what they want to do with their life and with their career? The biggest advice that I would give to them in terms of what to do next is not to wait until tomorrow and instead decide right now that life is too short to postpone living it the way they want and to decide that right now they are going to get clear and be honest with themselves about what they truly want, what they truly want their life to look like. And regardless of all the outside expectations, the outside opinions, in that quiet stillness inside, I know they know and they know they know what it is that they truly want. So my advice is give yourself the freedom to admit to yourself what you want. And if you're not sure how to make it happen, go out, get some help, get some support, get some resources, but don't put it off. Don't wait until later to start living your dream. I really, really like that you suggested that people go get help to do this. I think as high achievers, especially in my Bain bubble, you know, we're all problem solvers. 
but we solve problems with the expertise that we have to solve them. And these are problems where other people actually have the expertise to help you solve yes. them. <laughs> and we don't always put it in that perspective. We think we can solve any problem. And the truth is they're actually professionals and experts that can really be helpful in that journey. And I appreciate you saying that because I like to be super transparent about the fact that I didn't get here on my own. I'm someone who has invested over the years in coaches, in therapy, in energy medicine. Like I am in meditation. Like, you know, I am someone who is constantly pouring into myself, constantly, right? And that helps me see things in different ways, think in new ways, show up in bigger and more full versions of myself, and frankly, feel supported, right? Because it's so much harder to do these things alone, but we don't have to. Right. And that's the myth of uh, today's social media culture where everybody is self-made and did it on their own. No, no. There's a whole squad behind me. <laughs> there is a whole squad. I can be at the pool because I've got a team that's coaching clients right now. I've got a team that's doing lead gen right now. I've got a team that's planning for my events and my retreats and they're doing this and that. No, 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 no. There's a whole squad. <laughs> that is absolutely true all the time. Whitney, thank you for taking the time today. I know I joked and made it sound like you were living a life of leisure, but you are one of the hardest working people that I know, both professionally and personally with your family and entrepreneurship ventures all happening at the same time. So I appreciate the time today. It is always great to catch up and I look forward to seeing you in person soon. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for having me, Keith. Looking forward to seeing you soon. Thanks everyone for tuning into our health and wellness series. I'd like to ask everybody listening to this series and the other episodes to take a moment and leave us a review. It would really mean a lot and help us improve the show. Also, we'd really like to hear from you. If there are topics you'd like us to discuss, or things that annoy you or things that you want to hear more of, let us know. You can email us at beyondthebio at bain.com. We'll be back soon with new episodes and thanks for listening. Peace.